Hello and welcome to our Sunday morning podcast, especially if this is your first time with us. My name is Ian Renitz and it's my pleasure to host our service today. How are you going with keeping the rules? Things are relaxing a bit as to how many people we can have in our homes, how far we can drive for non-essential services. Um, cafes can do a bit more. Maybe you can have that coffee with a few people outside. When the rules seem too hard or not reasonable, what do you do? As we continue our series in 1 Peter, we read, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. John, our senior minister today, will speak from this passage. We're going to rejoice in the greatness of our God today. We will hear his holy word and join in prayer and song. May we be ready and willing to hear from him, to strive to put into practice what we learn. We're going to start with a fun time with a few of the Bartlett's. Hi everybody, we're the Bartlett's. I'm Matt. Oh, hi, I'm Tom. I'm Georgia. And we want to sing a song to you today about prayer. And the kids have some actions for you uh, to follow along with at home. So you ready kids? Ready. Let's go. Stop what you're doing and pray to Jesus. Stop what you're doing and pray to Jesus. Stop what you're doing and pray to Jesus. My mighty Jesus, when you're laughing, pray to Jesus when you're crying. Pray to Jesus when you're bored. Pray to Jesus, mighty, mighty Jesus. Big, big, good, good, mighty, mighty Jesus. Big, big, good, good, mighty, mighty Jesus. Big, big, good, good, mighty, mighty Jesus. Mighty, mighty Jesus. You're noisy. Shh. Pray to Jesus when you're cranky. Father, we come to your throne of grace now. Help us to quieten our hearts and take away all that would distract us from focusing on you. 
Remind us that as we come into your presence, we stand on holy ground. Remind us again of what it cost, the death of your Son, so that we can come to you, our loving Creator. Amen. There is no one like you, our God, who rides across the heavens to help us. The eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields us all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we humbly admit that we need your help. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. You alone can save us. Have mercy on us. Wipe out our sins. Teach us to forgive others. Strengthen us to love and serve you and live our lives to your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Father, we are thankful that you fulfill your promises and are true to your word. We have confessed our sins. You have forgiven us because Christ died for us. Amen. Thank you, Father, for the gift of the Holy Spirit in every believer's life. It is only through your Holy Spirit that we know you are with us all the time and wherever we go. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence and your power. Remind us constantly of the great love of Jesus as he gave his life for us. Guide us into a greater knowledge of God's will. Strengthen us to love and obey with all our hearts, minds and souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think of our church family, we pray this week specifically for Brian, Michelle, Mitchell and Ellen Thomas, Anne Thompson, Ruth Thoroughgood and Lucy Thorpe. Heavenly Father, I ask that you may give these people the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they may know Christ better. I pray also that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened, in order that they may know the hope to which you have called them, the riches of their glorious inheritance in the saints, and Christ's incomparably great power for us who believe. We also pray for Judy Kembry as she struggles with illness and is on the waiting list for back surgery. Almighty God, giver of life and health, hear our prayers for the sick and those who minister to them. May they be restored to health of body and mind according to your will, and in the presence of your people give thanks to you. Amen. As we think of our parish ministries, we ask this morning for the Community Pantry Ministry. Thank you that this ministry can continue in present conditions. We pray for the team who faithfully come to serve our community. We pray for those who come for the groceries and especially for those who are struggling financially. Open their eyes to see your love through this ministry and call them to yourself. We also thank you for the members of our parish who faithfully serve us in the maintenance ministry of our church. Thank you especially for all the hard work this week, cleaning, renovating and painting our church. We pray that our church property will bring glory to your name, just as those who serve so faithfully also glorify you. For our mission partners this week, we pray for Ian Reynitz serving in hospital chaplaincy. 
we pray that you will help him as he continues to deliver the first Anglicare pastoral care training online. We ask that you will bless his opportunities to help others through the virtual chapel and as he seeks to open the Chaplaincy TV channel for patients. We also thank you that some of the volunteer chaplains are able to get back into the hospital this week and pray for their ministry too. As we pray for our community, nation and the world, Lord, we bring to you our continuing concerns about the spread of COVID-19. Lord, we pray for health workers on the front line, dealing with the sick and dying, the infected and frightened, and those who are frustrated or panicking. We pray for scientists who are trying to develop vaccines against COVID-19 and treatments for those who are infected. O oh Lord, when we, your children, are apprehensive about the affairs of our world, remind us that you are in your world as well as above it. You are not an indifferent spectator. You walk with us, you know how we feel, and you understand our fear. So we do not need to feel forsaken or give way to hopelessness. We know that through all this you have a plan for our good. We know that one day every knee will bow before you. Father, as your children, help us to stand firm and strong in our faith in you. Help us to shine like stars and point others to you. Father, this is a great opportunity to witness to your love and power. Help us to trust and rest in your care. Help us to love and care for one another. Remind us that you have told us not to worry, but to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and to leave the rest in your capable hands. Father, we ask that through this crisis, we will bring glory to your name. Amen. Do join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name's Rob Gooder, and it's my pleasure to bring you the readings today. And the first is from Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Every second Friday at our church, we partner with Anglicare to offer the mobile community pantry to our neighbourhood. This is one great way that we can give practical support to those around us. Anglicare also does so many other things um, to help in ways, in ways which we as a church would like to do but can't. So here's a story of how Anglicare helped with a family that was impacted by the recent bushfires. 
I'm Matthew Ord from Yadda Yadda. Um, I'm a teacher at the local high school. Um, I've lived on this property for around eight years. We had bushfires around us for quite a few months. Um, didn't think it, it would come this close. When the fires first started, it was very much to the south. Um, we could see smoke. And then as it went on, it seemed to go out towards the west, out towards the back of Pigeon House. And then, yeah, a week later, we just had those super hot 40 degree days. And, and that's when, yeah, things started to be a little bit um, unpredictable. When I brought my three-year-old up here, it just crushes him because he points out everything. Where's, where's my front door? Where's my toothbrush? It was the kids' safe space, you know. It was, it was what everything that they'd grown up with. Um, I didn't know really where to start. With the, what we, what, I was just lost, and yeah, we're still a little bit lost. We started looking at temporary accommodation. We met some a family who we did not know, and they offered us their house for six weeks. And so we moved in there, and that got us back into you know, a little bit of routine with the kids. And we got a, a rental property that we're moving into soon, um, and that should be a year's worth accommodation. But as you can see, the cleanup hasn't started, so it could be longer than a year that we need some accommodation. Yeah. The mental effects have been big on us, but we haven't sort of let us let it sort of get to us because we've had the kids to look after. Um, but I'm sure we'll need you know a little bit of counselling and help, and especially my three-year-old. He will. Um, he seems to have been affected in a big way. So Anglicare were extremely helpful. They offered us financial advice, they helped us with food and um, essential items for the kids. They also helped out my wife with um, financial assistance and vouchers and things, um, which went a long way to you know, helping us out with the kids and, and both to get our feet back on the ground. They you know, gave us a lot of time um, and really talked to us um, in a way that we understood because we don't understand what to do with a lot of the financial side of things. Our second reading is from 1 Peter 2 verses 11 to 17. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the Emperor. Hi, my name is John Thorpe. I'm the minister here at Shell Harbour City Anglican. And let me pray as we get into this passage from 1 Peter. 
Dear Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray that I might speak to it clearly and apply it faithfully as we seek to live honouring you. Amen. People often talk about the rise of individualism in our culture. Uh, and individualism is where we make life all about me. It's about my self-esteem, my self-worth, you know, my happiness. And one of the dangers of individualism is we lose a sense of perspective about how our actions and our, how our behaviour impacts others. We certainly see how they impact us. If someone walks into the room and they're a bit grumpy or a bit eeyore, then we can see how that impacts our mood. And certainly at work, you know, with our boss, if we see them cutting corners and if they're willing to bend the truth uh, to seal the deal, then we feel that it's acceptable for us to do the same thing. And often in our culture, right and wrong is defined less in terms of uh, a moral absolute and more in terms of consequences. You know, what's the outcome? And if I'm happy with the outcome, then that is acceptable. And certainly we're happy to be generous, but we're generous on our terms. And we're always starting with, well, how does this impact me? And then maybe, uh, how might I do good for others? But as Christians, we are called to think and to live differently. We're called to look at the world through a lens that, that God has given us, where we ask, well, how does my behaviour impact others? How do I point people to the goodness of God. And so in any given situation, we need to ask questions like, you know, how do my actions impact my relationship with God? How do my actions bring honour or dishonour to God for those who are observing me? And how do my actions make being a Christian either more or less compelling as people see how I live? And contrary to popular opinion, it starts with recognising that we are not at the centre of the galaxy. So we are not the sun. Uh, God is the sun, he's at the centre of everything. Uh, but we're not even like, you know, the, that beautiful planet we call Earth. Uh, God reserves that for someone else. Uh, as Christians, we're a little bit more like the moon. Uh, no one, you know, gives a lot of glory to the moon. Uh, but it certainly has a significant influence and impact on our planet and it reflects the light in darkness. So it's not about me first, it's not even about me second. It's about me third. So, so far in this letter, you know, Paul has focused on uh, who we are as Christians. Uh, so we are chosen by God with a secure future and a present living hope. And we have all of that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're wondering well, sort of why do Christians always come back to the cross and the resurrection, it's because at the cross, Jesus pays the price for our sin, and the resurrection is the proof that that price has actually been paid. But it also allows us to look forward to the future, that as Christ has been risen, so we look forward to also rising again. And so right now, that gives us an inexpressible and glorious joy. Uh, and like anything that gives us joy, we want to share it. And so in the words of verse 9 from last week, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. And that really marks a transition in this letter for Peter. So, so far he's talked a lot about 
who we are in Christ. And now he moves to talk about how we should live in the world and how we should live as Christ's ambassadors and how our behaviour impacts our relationship with God but it also impacts our relationship with other people and, more significantly, their relationship with God. And so the passage we're looking at today is part of a bigger unit. Uh, the first couple of verses work as an introduction and then it goes on to talk about what does it look like to submit in the world. Uh, and today we're just going to look at one area of submission, which is how do we submit to those who have responsibility and authority over us in society. And so we start uh, at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. These Christians are not literally foreigners and exiles, but they certainly do stand out as different. Their belief in God, their values, how they participate in society all sets them apart. And part of being different means turning away from sinful desires that previously would have just been considered socially normal. And as we read the whole letter, we get a sense of perhaps what those sinful desires are. And so earlier in the letter, in chapter 2, we read, Therefore rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. And then a little bit later in chapter 4, we'll read, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. So sinful desires are a combination of attitudes, you know, like malice and envy and lust, but also behaviours, you know, like deceit and drunkenness and orgies. You know, we see sex as a moral issue, and that partly reflects our cultural heritage. Uh, but back then in the ancient world, in the Greco-Roman world, uh, there are very few limits around sexual behaviour, and particularly for men. And so for Christians living in this world and living with these sorts of sexual values around them, you can imagine just how difficult it was to turn their back on that former way of life. You know, for starters, these feelings are deeply ingrained in our nature. Lust and wanting to be you know, sexually desirable are pretty deep human emotions. And we see those desires played out you know, today in things like pornography. Uh, because it's anonymous, it feels perhaps victimless. Uh, rationally, we know that it's personally and relationally damaging. Uh, but in the moment, uh, those desires simply overwhelm any sense of you know, future consequence. Or perhaps we could look at something like envy. Because there's always someone who we feel has it better than us. You know, we look at our friends, we look at social media. Uh, there are people who are more beautiful than us. Uh, they're fitter than us, they have more, they've got a, a nice house, a nice car, they have nice clothes. And we look at them and we feel our life would just be so much better if we had what they have. And so we're always looking for something different, uh, someone else different, or perhaps just something more. And there's a multi-billion dollar media industry that wants to keep us in sort of a constant state of you know, hopeful dissatisfaction, where life would be good if you just have that little bit more and they can make it possible right now for four easy monthly payments. And so as Christians, you know, we often try to 
counter this message of our culture by talking about the negative consequences of these sorts of choices. So we try to convince people of why pornography or premarital sex will you know, negatively impact their relationships in the future, uh, or how drunkenness you know, is going to you know, lead to you know, crashing the car, or gossip will always come back and bite us in the end. And those things might be true, but they still make life all about me and how my behaviour impacts my happiness. And what we miss in that sort of thinking is how does my behaviour impact my relationship with God? And so the way we live speaks to our allegiance. And these sinful desires want to tempt us away from putting our hope in the salvation we have in Christ for that momentary sense of pleasure and desire. And so in the words of Peter, these desires wage war not just simply against our life satisfaction, but against our soul. You know, as Christians, we are clearly not perfect. Uh, even as we have the Holy Spirit, you know, shaping us and moulding us to be more like Christ. We are still going to let ourselves down. We're still going to let God down. But I think the real problem starts to happen when we no longer care about our sin. And when that happens, then we need to look at ourselves because we're in a perilous place. And one of two things has happened. Either we're not really Christian at all and we're just sort of, you know, going along with, with the vibe around us. Or we are a Christian, but we've got out of step with God's spirit and we've lost our way. Uh, we, either which way, uh, when we see that in ourselves, we need to recognise it, uh, we need to repent, and we need to turn back to God. And thankfully, we know that God will forgive us because Christ has paid the price for our sin. And so our behaviour doesn't just impact our salvation, it also impacts, or potentially impacts, the salvation of others. And so verse 12, Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We can't go out and get drunk and sleep around and gossip about our friends and then turn around and say how wonderful it is to be a Christian. If we do that, how in the world is anyone going to take us seriously? And as much as we would love to say, you know, look at Jesus and don't look at fallible Christians like us, uh, it's impossible to separate the two because as Christians we represent Christ. And so we need to show the world around us how being a follower of Jesus makes a positive difference. And so as people look at us and as they see the good deeds we do, then hopefully, God willing, they start to see those things that they thought were wrong and ridiculous, perhaps aren't so ridiculous after all. And then they'll go on to see that uh, sin really doesn't provide the satisfaction that it promises and that they really do need a saviour. And that will lead them to the point of repenting and then one day standing before God uh, with us and giving him the glory that is his due. And it starts with us doing good. And one way that we do good uh, is to be good citizens. So verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. 
and literally the first line should read, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human creature. And it then goes on to talk about human creatures who have authority within society. And so in the context of 1 Peter, we have the emperor and the governors. And the message is, as Christians, we should be good law-abiding citizens. You know, the early Christians weren't particularly trusted within society. You know, they were considered a bit subversive. They didn't follow the same gods. They didn't sacrifice to the emperor. And they gave a status to slaves and women that was just far above and beyond uh, anything that was considered socially acceptable at the time. And so therefore threatened, you know, the, the social status quo. And so Peter writes to these Christians and he wants to say, be such good citizens that you are seen as an asset and not a liability. And as you live these good lives, people will then see the Christ that you follow. And I think a good example in our context is Christian schools, because schooling is one of those points where uh, our Christian world uh, intersects our more secular society. Uh, and every now and again you'll read an article or an opinion piece in the paper about how Christian schools shouldn't receive government funding because we don't reflect the values of our community. And what they usually mean is Christian schools don't reflect their values. And usually in the context of you know, sex and sexuality. And so they see you know, Christians as dangerous and Christian schools as dangerous. And so they either want the state to sort of enforce you know, state-recognised values, or, or better still, close down Christian schools altogether. And so how should we respond to that? How should we respond to that sort of intolerance? Well, I think as a starting point, as good citizens, uh, we should pay our taxes. Uh, so we are contributing as much as anyone uh, to the education of our children. I think, secondly, we want to show people how our faith contributes positively to education, uh, that our young people come out you know, well-educated uh, as well as you know, well-adjusted into our community, and how we you know, love and care for every student, irrespective of their you know, worldview or faith perspective. And when we do that, then we commend ourselves to our community, and we make it that much harder for those people to hate, who hate us to get any subtraction for their hate. So as Christians living in the world, we need to do good and we need to make sure that we don't do evil. And so verse 16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Peter is writing to Christians who have a newfound freedom in Christ. And in a world where most people were slaves, uh, this is incredible. It completely changes their perspective of who they are and how they fit in the world. But with that freedom can also come the temptation to justify all sorts of evil, where we no longer feel that we're responsible to those who have authority over us. We don't feel that we're responsible to the law of the land. Or we feel we can say all sorts of things online uh, because we're on the side of right, uh, but we forget that how we say things is just as important as what we have to say. You know, we live in a democracy. We have the right to say what we want. We have the right to protest. Uh, and certainly as Christians, we have a responsibility, in the words of Psalm 82, to defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, 
deliver them from the hands of the wicked. But we do need to do things in a way that gives due respect to those who have authority over us. But you can understand for these new Christians how they want to use this freedom and this newfound understanding of you know, who they are uh, to you know, try to overturn the social structures around them and the injustice that they experienced as part of you know, Roman culture. But for Peter, his greater concern is for people's salvation and that our behaviour as Christians and how we live as good citizens might commend Christ to those around us. And so there's a tension. Uh, we want to uh, act in a way that brings justice in our community. Uh, that fights injustice, that looks after the poor and the weak and the oppressed. And as we do that, uh, as we seek to be godly in these things, as we seek to bring Christian values into our community, not only is it good for our community, but it will also commend Christ to people. And it will point people to the salvation and the hope that we can have in him. Yeah, Peter wraps up this section uh, with this sort of wonderful summary of how we live in society. You know, verse 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor. We don't have an emperor, but you get the idea. You know, how we live in the world is complicated, and so often we don't know just the right thing to do in any given situation. But a good start is to recognise that as Christians, life is not all about us. And when we recognise that, then it shifts our perspective. We start to recognise how our behaviour impacts our relationship with God and how our behaviour impacts other people and their relationship with God. You know, so often we feel that no one particularly notices or cares what we do. But everything we do uh, creates a story. And we want our story to tell about God's goodness and mercy and grace. And we want that story to be writ large, not just in our words, but in our lives. You know, so that, you know, picking up the words of our passage, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen. That brings us to the end of our uh, morning podcast. I'm sure Georgia, Tom and Matt would love to see a like on Facebook. Or you could leave another encouragement that you wish or any comment that you'd like on the Facebook page uh, just to keep us in touch as the co uh, congregation that's meeting together. So in this coming week, keep safe, keep appropriate distance and keep the rules. And as the, our passage said, let us show proper respect to everyone love the family of believers, fear God, and honour our authorities. And may our Lord bless you and keep you. up your praise. Join with the heavens declaring the wonders of His faithfulness forever. Sing of the victory, the hope of the world. The Savior has risen, the Spirit has come.
darkness and into the light The sons and the daughters, the love that a price our God has made us your price this is love this is love and when the father calls a song and we see him on the throne hear the voices 